Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome once again, our fellow explorers. Great to have you. We have, as always, a interesting discussion, exploration that's hopefully going to be very useful in your love life and your friendship life. And the topic is the yoga of relationships. But before diving too deeply into that, I want to welcome my yoga relationship partner in crime, Brian Tom O'Connor. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing very well, Jonathan. What an interesting topic. I'm looking forward to seeing what we have to say about it. I am also looking forward to what the great mystery puts through our mouth to our listeners. You know, the basis of this topic is I we were talking about, you know, different things we could talk about. And I conveyed a story Ram Dass once said to me, which was that he considers the cutting edge of spirituality to be relationships. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And I asked him, how so? He said, well, relationships are two people trying to become one and when you're one you're one not just with a person you're one with love and in the yoga relationships you get to see all the things that are in the way and perhaps purify yourself by having those obstacles either removed or disidentified from and therefore, it's a perfect metaphor of what we're trying to do spiritually. And it changed how I looked at relationships, it eventually got me to focus on that as a topic, as you know, I've written a couple of books about uh, relationships. And I think it really is a very underutilized and powerful path to awakening. But I'd like to, before I blab some more, get your opinion. Well, I can see why he would consider relationship to be a perfect vehicle for looking at what is in the way of awakening. Because of all the areas of our lives where we seem to most want control, it's in our relationships, particularly our romantic relationships or our spousal relationships, but, but also a relationships among family and friends. We have the idea that, or just not even the idea, just the instinct to control the behavior of the other, to want them to act in such a way that we think we'll be more happy. And the idea of controlling our experience is one of the biggest obstacles to awakening uh, that there is, I think. Yeah. And, you know, we get immediate feedback. I don't know about you and your partner, Brian, but uh, me and my wife, uh, whenever I try to control her or tell her what's wrong with her, she never responds by saying, oh, now I see what you're talking about. Thank you for showing me the errors in my ways. I will have to 
changed now, and I really appreciate this <laughs> feedback. She's never done that. I'm I'm still fantasizing that someday that that happens, but um, I'm batting zero for a thousand so far, and eventually, if you listen to your life or your relationship, you can see that it does. A good relationship involves letting somebody be as they are, and that's really what we want in our relationship with reality too, to not always be fighting it, resisting it, having our agenda for it, but just being with it. And that's the beginning of love. And in a romantic relationship, or really in any relationship, you get a lot of practice. You do get a lot of practice. You're always bumping up against it. And, and, and um, I think that the answer because i i run into this too i mean the 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 i don't know if you would call it work but the project of learning to accept your partner as they are with all their faults and flaws um is is a lifelong project but one that really i think pays off and certainly in my relationship with uh, my husband we've had uh, to work on that because we all have ideas about what, what the other does wrong and, and, and our faults and flaws and what should we be doing. And I think that the, the best antidote to this is simply unconditional love. It's easy to say, hard to put into practice, but it's the most powerful force in the universe, unconditional love. Can you love the other person no matter what, no matter how they are, what they do, what they say, how you feel, can you love, even if you're angry, even if you're upset, even if you're having a conflict, you ask the question, what's the loving thing to do? What's the thing that utilizes your own sense of, 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 of love and care? Yeah, those are great questions. And, you know, I have a one question test to find out how enlightened somebody is. Okay. Uh, because, you know, I, between us, we've been able to talk to some very enlightened people. And the question I ask is, how enlightened and loving does your partner feel you are? <laughs> if you have a partner. Or I will ask that of their partner. And... I think it's a really good test because if your partner is always complaining about your behavior or trying to change you, that indicates that you're not as enlightened as you think you are. <laughs> now, you know, a lot of times that has indicated to people, oh, well, my partner is the one person who triggers me. And romantic partners or even friends can be a really good sign as to what we need to work on. Because when somebody triggers us, that means that something in us is uncooked. Something in us is still conditioned and we are identified with it. And those are the things that keep us from peace and love. Yes. And I think that when we are triggered, I, I'd like to just bring in something we discussed in our anger episode. Um, you said that when people are angry, it's practically always because there's a rule that they have. 
and that rule is not being followed. And I think that's actually what happens when we're triggered often, is that we have this idea that we should be completely accepted, that we should never be criticized, that other people should behave in certain ways that increase our happiness. And these are little ideas or expectations, maybe if you don't want to use the word rules, expectations of how they should be. And that's, I think that's what causes the triggers. So it's not so much that we have to figure out what the flaw is in ourself that we have yet failed to fix, but instead look at what our expectations of our relationships are and can we can we drop them yeah can we let them go and that's a whole area you know how do you let go of all these expectations and rules and you know, i like things like the sedona method and other methods certainly meditation yeah. you know could i let go in this moment you know uh we don't learn letting go we do learn expectations you know the media is always trying to give us new ideas of how ourselves or, or others should be, but we don't learn how do we let go of all that baggage. So here we are, we're, we're two people who keep on putting on extra baggage, extra clothes, you know, first one jacket, then another, then another, and then we want to be intimate and it doesn't go well often. So we have to learn how to let go of that baggage, let go of that extra layers. And part of that involves being more and more present and more and more vulnerable. And those are also things that are hard. You know, you if you want to be vulnerable to the energy that keeps you alive, you also want to be able to be vulnerable to other people. You can't, you know, have it in one place and not the other either you're open and unprotected or you're protected and if you're protected it'll keep you from the grace of peace and it'll keep you from the grace of love with another person that's right and then you're constantly on guard in case that other person says something or does something that touches that nerve that you haven't looked at yourself that you haven't gone deep inside and allowed yourself to experience the deep feelings in that in that core the core wound that we all carry around when you have learned to go there yourself through deep allowing and deep meditation and insight then you can you can become less protective of it so that you're not always afraid that someone's going to touch a nerve that you don't want touched yeah. You know, as a guy, uh, I think guys have even more of a problem than women with allowing themselves to be vulnerable. Um, something I have worked on and with some success. But if you look at the word intimacy, it has the technique buried in it, into me see. <laughs> and you're revealing stuff about yourself. I find is easier if you're not so overly identified with it. You know, like, yes. okay, it's okay to be vulnerable. You know, that's not all of who I am. Or it's okay to take in 
feedback from another person because I know my true nature is something other than this ego personality. And I find the practice of trying to be vulnerable, intimate, trying to not identify and take things personally is really, for me, a spiritual process. That's why I call it the yoga of relationships. It, it has a, a theory behind it. It has a technique behind it. And it often mirrors how much peace I feel. If I'm at peace with my wife and I'm non-defensive, I'm probably at peace with myself and with God. If I'm not, I'm probably bringing that into the, these other relationships as well. That's right. That's right. And uh, another thing that occurred to me was something that I remember hearing in an interview with Ajashanti years ago, uh, talking about his relationship. And he said that the biggest breakthrough came when they both realized they didn't need the other person to make them happy. Mm. In other words, my happiness is not based on my relationship. And just as you said, the ego, we, we can apply awareness practices to it. For I mean, the ego isn't who we are. I mean, there, there goes Brian again, just, you know, protecting his own personality from criticism. That's not who we really are when we look back deep inside at awareness itself and realize we are so much bigger than our bodies, we're so much bigger than our egos, then the ego has to be protected less. I think that was two topics I just covered, um, uh, awareness and ego and, and, and the idea that our happiness, we are only responsible for our own happiness. The other person isn't responsible for making us happy. And the way to find happiness is to turn inside and to see where happiness is rather than where happiness isn't. Very true. Unfortunately, the sad state is that most of the time there are many part, parts of ourselves that do think that happiness is in getting our partner to be a certain way. You know, I do a lot of couples counseling uh, with people who come to me, and they all have that common problem. Like, if that person would only do this, then I could be happy. You know, and that's why people are always into blame. You know, they, they leave their dishes out in the sink, or they don't do this, with the idea that if they did do that, I could be at peace. Well, that's really a very good indication of your own obstacles. You know, blame, the old statement is that when you point out, you know, three fingers are pointing back at you. And I do a fair amount of blame in my head, but when I do, I ask myself the question, well, what shortcoming in me is this pointing to? You know, why do I need that person to change? And usually the answer is, oh, I'm trying to get something out there, which I really should be getting from within. And that's a confronting process. You know, the yoga relationships is a, is a somewhat confronting practice. Well, 
here I think we differ slightly in our philosophy and, and approach, even though on the whole I think you're right. If the question is, what is the flaw in me that I'm not seeing, or what is the shortcoming, I think, is that the word you used? Yeah. What is the shortcoming in me that I'm not seeing? Then, of course, it's going to be a, a process that, that uh, by its nature, it brings about your defensiveness and, and, has, and has in an, an idea that there's something about you that's wrong that in order to be happy needs to be fixed. And mm -hmm. I think that the fundamental disagreement that we have is that I don't think that's necessary. I think that the human personality is flawed. It's going to be flawed. It's going to remain flawed. And the trick is seeing that that's not who we really are. It's, it's being the background, being the bigger picture and allowing those flaws. And then through some strange, mysterious alchemy, I don't understand the flaws start to resolve themselves but only if you're not trying to fix them. It's a paradox. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found it fascinating while you were talking. I was going through this whole process, which was pretty funny. And that was as you, you're presenting a point of view different than mine. The mind goes, no, no, I'm right. He's wrong. You know, that type of thing. I like, I'm kind of like, very quietly defensive and proving my point in my head while you're talking. And then <laughs> I think, well, actually what he's saying makes some sense. But I was noticing how hard it was just to be, to really listen to somebody who has a different point of view. And yeah. nowadays, think of what's going on with the polarization of everything. You know, uh, it's almost impossible to hear people from a different point of view. And I went, I experienced a mini feeling separate from you to feeling connected by saying, okay, that part of me that needs to always be right, quiet down for a moment. He has something to say. And even that's like a spiritual letting go process, a little bit, a little taste of the yoga relationship. So as you spoke, I started to feel like, you know, that's a totally valid way of looking at this. And I stepped into your view. Now, of course, I'm more right than you, as always. But of course, we'll put that on the shelf just for a moment. And I'm going to listen to you. And I learned something. I go, yeah, okay, I can see that. And it's not that one of us is right and one of us is wrong, which is what the ego does in relationships. It's more like we each have a part of the picture. And by being able to hear the other person and let go of our defensiveness and our ideas, we can merge and learn and actually feel more connected. So even in these little moments, this yoga relationship is possible. You don't have to be married to somebody for 20 years before you do it. You know, talk to somebody on, of the other political party that you believe in, and you will have a great opportunity to go into the yoga of relationships. <laughs> That's absolutely right. But boy, was that a great example of you doing the yoga of relationships. I, I thought that was marvelous. And believe me, I'm the same because um, I often, 
if my if someone comes up with an opinion that differs from mine or says I'm wrong, I, definitely my first reaction is, now wait a minute, uh, I'm right here. How can I how can I make the other person you know? So I I, I definitely do that too, but. I think you're absolutely right that you just have to stop and take a look. And you and I often have discussions like this where I say, you know, because I'm a little bit more of a purist and I say this and this, and then you say the opposite. And then I realize, oh, that's true too. And then you talk about one of my favorite metaphors of yours, which is the, the two wings. Yeah. That when you're flying on one wing, you go in circles, but you need a balance. You need the, the two wings. So it, maybe this is, you know, an example of that. Absolutely. What um, is that metaphor? Can you, can you, can you just yeah, that, more time? So if you imagine, uh, actually, I sometimes even have the, my two wing thing here. I don't have it with me. But um, if you have one wing of a, airplane that's very strong and very long and the other one that's very short the plane goes around in circles and then crashes and with a lot of things you know you're in this case you're more of a purist maybe i'm more of a little bit into self-help they each have their place and if you only are using one it really limits your ability to soar but if you have both available then when life gives you a certain situation in which uh, the self-help wing is more useful you got it or if life gives you a situation where the pure awareness wing is more useful then you have that and unfortunately people tend to always polarize i mean you can take into what's happening with the politics now that you know, conservatives and liberals do both have some good ideas, but nobody's listening to each other. And therefore it becomes like a battle rather than seeing that we're really on the same team. And the idea is to listen to each other, to love each other, to learn from each other, rather than to battle and put each other down. Mm -hmm. And those things are, are, spiritual processes are not easy to do and we can see in our society that not many people are doing it that's right that's right and and the spiritual principle that we often talk about uh, allowing everything to be as it is is very tricky because people will say well how can i allow injustice in the world you know and my answer to that is how about right now how about in the next two minutes could you allow everything to be as it is just for now or let's say right. you're sitting down to meditate just while you're meditating you can worry about social justice later if you want to and by all means take action but only take action if you think it will be effective and if you're not willing to take the action don't complain about it mm -hmm. yeah you and I like um, techniques and games, and uh, I thought I'd share one of my favorite relationship games. Actually, I have a book that's just dedicated to 40 different games called 
more love, less conflict. And these are all partnered relationship games where you use your partner to help you become less defensive or become more vulnerable or to learn something or to awaken. And since, you know, our partner is there with us a lot of the time, it's really good to make use of that person in those ways. And it feels good as well. So one of my uh, very simple games, it takes nothing to explain, is you have your partner ask repeatedly, what keeps you from being closer to me? And what this does, and I'll try it with you. Brian, what keeps you from being closer to me? Hmm. Well, other than the fact that we're on separate uh, sides of the continent, I think my sense of my of what's right uh, and and what's correct and what's true. Uh huh. Okay. And then I'd say thank you, and then I would ask again, Brian, what else keeps you from being closer to me? Um. Probably a deep fear of intimacy. Okay. And when doing this, I could ask it over and over again for 15 minutes, and you kind of go through the layers. But in answering that question, it brings to awareness certain, call it obstacles, to love or vulnerability, of which we all have, of course. And as you become aware of things, they, as you said, they naturally tend to have less impact or dissipate or disappear because you now recognize it as an obstacle. Right. When you look at it and see it, then that may be the first step to letting it go because it might be hard to let go if you don't even know it's there. Exactly. Awareness is always the first step. And a lot of times, you know, we're, people don't normally ask you that question. I mean, this is probably the first time you've ever been asked that question. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's difficult because, well, first of all, right now, because of the conversation we've already had today, I feel pretty close to you. So, <laughs> so it was sort of like, all right, dig deep. Like, what would, like, you know, do I have a fear of, of, of emotion, like, or a fear of rejection, or a fear like if I'm too open, will somebody, you know, uh, come back and slap me down or something like that? You know, fears from from being a, that started ever since I was a little kid. You know, so you start yeah. to look pretty deep at those kinds of things that you have, the defenses that that we've built up, and it, it sure it can be definitely eye opening. Even if you already feel close, you know that there's still going to be something that you can see. And in my case, just now, yeah, I, I, I felt something deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so these little games or eye gazing, you know, just looking in somebody's eyes for five minutes, that's a, a way to have your stuff come up sometimes. Yeah. And then try to get through it, relax through it, let it go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of great games, and I know you have a bunch in, in your book as well, but do any come to mind? Well, the only two-person game I have in my first book 
is about identity and and you know people sit opposite each other and one person asks the other person who who are you and mm -hmm. the idea is that no whatever the other person comes up with so person a asks who are you person b comes up with an answer no matter what person b comes up with person a says no that's not who you really are who are you and you just keep right. going back and forth until you just till you've exhausted all the concepts about your identity and realize that your identity is concept free uh-huh your real identity your real deep background identity is is can't be described in words yeah but that's not so much a, i'm sorry that's 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 an awareness awakening game not so much a relationship improving game so you may have some that are designed for you know like couples i do and i think both are useful you know you you find what attracts you and your partner now or you and a friend and by having a list or several at your disposal you try them out and see which ones seem to really be alive for you. We're both of the opinion that uh, there's no one right technique. The right technique is the ones that you try and they seem to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other I would come up with, and I know I've mentioned this before on the program, but I discovered uh, that sometimes I didn't listen well to other people. Mm -hmm. my mind would wander and partly as i would look at people and i'm just i'm fascinated by faces and facial expression and i would look at the other person's face instead of listening to the words that they were saying or i would think about what i'm going to say next which is a very mm -hmm. typical ploy that a lot of us uh, fall into and what i discovered was that when i first checked in to awareness when i just looked and looked for ah what is all of this appearing in awareness and then i listened to the other person and noticed the awareness that the other person's voice was appearing in through some strange reason even though i'm turning my attention to awareness itself i found that i was able to listen to what the other person's saying without getting distracted in other words the words came through unfiltered and created both a connection between the two of us and um, an increased sense of awareness of awareness. Mm -hmm. Well, I like how you use trial and error to try different things and listening is such a key miniature of, of the yoga of relationships. A lot yes. of people can't listen. They have their own agenda. They have their own ideas. When somebody else talks, it's more of like, I have to put up with, hearing their BS for a while. And so uh, I can finally get back to saying what I want to say. That's how a lot of people are and how sometimes I am. And I'm always catching myself. No, let it go. Just listen, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that letting go process of my ideas, my thoughts, and really listening is another example, a mini example of the yoga relationships. Can you surrender yourself for 20 seconds or two minutes to really hear and be with someone else that Absolutely. is not 
a normal, easy thing to do. You know, sometimes people have asked me, what was it like talking to the Dalai Lama or Oprah? And I say, they were both tremendous listeners. You felt like they had totally let go of what they were going to say next, and they were just really with you. And it, it was impactful because you're not used to that. And I think one of the reasons why both of them are so popular is because they really can listen. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and uh, there's a way that we can actually practice on our own. If we sit quietly and listen to the sounds around us and see if we can listen to them wordlessly, Hmm. or experience the sensations in our body wordlessly. That we can actually practice. If you practice listening wordlessly on your own, then it's a skill that you can develop and then you can apply to listening wordlessly to another person. They have words, but you're more skilled at not triggering the stream of words in your own mind while you're listening. That's beautiful. I, I like how that you can practice it first, like with training wheels on your own. <laughs> yeah. And then do it with people and see if you can build up to that. Yep. That's great. That's great. Well, um, I think we covered the subject pretty well. Uh, anything you want to add? No, I I I, uh, I think that uh, we we did, but I w was curious to see if you, being, you know, having written on relationships and being, you know, do, being a couples therapist and all that stuff, have have other other advice that you want. In other words, if someone comes to you with the problems we talked about before, like, you know, my my spouse just isn't behaving in a way that, you know, really pisses me off what they do. They do this, they do that, do that. In other words, when all their complaints are about the other person, how do you, how do you handle it? What do you tell them? What do you, what is your approach? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you do want to change somebody's behavior. They're, you know, violent or abusing dangerous drugs. Oh, yes. But taking that aside, I say that blame never works. So what works is vulnerability and understanding. And a lot of couples counseling is you being more vulnerable with what's going on with you and what you want, and you being having a better understanding of how the other person thinks and feels. You know, I never have couples coming to me in the office and saying, uh, Jonathan, we really understand each other quite well. That's why we want a divorce. You know, um, so it's really expanding your awareness of how does this other person feel, think, and can I really hear them and understand them? That's the beginning of love. That's the beginning of, of opening to another person, which is a good practice for opening up to consciousness or the universe. 
you know ah. it, it's really a very similar process can i be okay with that person as they are can i understand them can i really listen to the universe can i listen to this person it's a lot of the same skills and when people really become curious about the other person rather than blame them or become uh, open to hearing them often what has been a great battle between them can soften back into love and intimacy beautiful what a great explanation and 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 i think you're right that openness is such a key and the reason that often we're not open is something you alluded to earlier that there are many parts of ourselves that are self-protective that mm -hmm. try to avoid something that's going to hurt us and when we see that those parts of ourselves that are trying to keep us close trying to keep the armor of protection up are simply trying to protect us they were installed when we were little kids little babies for the purpose of trying to prevent us from being hurt in this world and so therefore they're not these horrible enemies inside they are actually parts that actually love us because they want to protect us and so when we can feel the love of the parts of us that that want us to close off then we can start the the pathway to being more open to others yeah and that helps to dissolve them all yeah. all obstacles dissolve in love oh, whether it's yes loving yourself or loving somebody else that's that's like the the magic elixir oh that's right i think it was warren buffett said uh unconditional love is the most powerful force in the universe yeah yeah well speaking of that i'm going to guide people in meditation to help them be aware of and deepen their relationship and it's going to be a little bit different than most meditations in that I'll be asking certain questions for you to ponder. And in pondering these questions, my hope is that it will allow you to have insights that will allow you to deepen any relationship in your life, whether it be a lover or a friend or even one with a child. So if you're ready, we'll give that a shot. Make yourself comfortable. And if you can, close your eyes and settle into your body as best you can. Maybe take a couple of slow, deep breaths. I want you to think about a person, just one person. If you are in a committed relationship now, that would be a good person to focus on. If not, Focus on a, a good friend or perhaps a child. And as you think about this person, first ask, what do you appreciate or love about them? Just get in touch with your sense of care and exactly what it is about them. that you most appreciate and love.
And you can ask yourself, do they know this? Have they heard this from you? If not, what might be in the way of you saying that? In fact, if you had no fear at all, what might you say to this person that perhaps you have not said ever or recently? If you had no fear at all, what might you say to them? Take a moment and just listen for whatever feels right. Another way of thinking about this question might be, if this was the last time you were ever going to talk to them because you were going to die or not see them again, what might you want to say to them? And notice as you imagine this conversation, how that feels. If there's any block or fear that comes up, see if you can just let it go and feel that connection, that intimacy with this person. Another question, what are they here to teach you? Or what can you learn from them? Take a minute and focus on any intuitive answer. What are they here to teach you or what can you best learn from them? And the last question, what can you help to teach them? What might they be able to best learn from you? Listen for any answer that feels right. What else can they learn from you?
Now imagine being fully vulnerable and open with this person, letting go of all your obstacles, all your little things that might keep you feeling separate. Imagine hugging or holding this being, appreciating all the gifts that they've given you, gratitude for them being in your life, for sharing moments of love, for being in this great adventure together. And silently in your head or imagining it verbally, telling them how much they mean to you and feeling even more connected. And just melting into that hug. And notice how soft you feel, how open, or if anything gets in the way of that, noticing that as well, just allowing it to be as it is. You bow to this person, and then you come back into yourself, knowing that they are there to help you to open to the love that you really are. And as you become more in touch with your chair, your room, and your body, becoming more of an individual yet maintaining that soft openness as you very, very slowly begin to open your eyes. Take your time. I personally love doing these guided meditations because I love watching the look on your face, Brian. <laughs> uh, the, only, the only being I ever see that blissfully happy is my dog when I pet her behind her ears. <laughs> Uh, you're you're good at that look, so thank well, you. Thank you. I I, I love that. It was so deep, and, and I guess what I felt doing it was I felt like little, the one by one, sort of little frozen inner crystals were breaking, and loosening, mm. and flowing out, uh, so that really was creating more openness. Great. Just a little seven minute meditation, you know, that, that love and connection is what we all yearn for. And being able to have a partner that you can play this with a little bit and practice um, is a great blessing. Sure is. And it can be 
apply to every relationship in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I'm glad I'm on this journey with you, Brian. Uh, Me too. A great exploration today and always. And I feel blessed that you're in my life. So thank you for for sometimes being wrong so I can correct you and <laughs> uh, and sometimes being right so I can be humbled. Yes, and thank you for uh, helping me notice that it's important for me to be right sometimes and maybe it's not so important. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Well, we've had a yoga relationship and, and it has been growing in that way of being able to listen to each other and explore and yeah. Hopefully, um, you know, we don't do it perfectly always, but hopefully that is a model for people. Yeah, it's unique. Hey, I recommend it. Everybody, get a friend and do a podcast together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a great sadhana, a great, great practice. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think that's it for today. As always, we um, hope that if you like this, you tell your friends, family, hit our donate button. You listen to our something like 40 meditations now that we have on our website, all free. And uh, please support us in any way you can if you're getting value. And just as important, if not more important, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.